Welcome everybody to Afterthoughts. This is our Recommend or Refute episode. You know exactly what we do here. We go around our table, we talk about something that we've watched recently, whether or not we would recommend or refute it. Uh, and I'm your host, John Garcia. Joining me at the table, our usual co-host, it's Ryan King. Hey, how's it going? I'm like, oh, scary movies. Ooh, Ooh, oh, yeah, 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 I forgot. The spooky season's happening. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and uh, Michael Dixon. Yeah, I'm bringing some scary shit to the table too, so uh, <laughs> yeah, it should be fun. How are you doing on Schlocktober, John? Uh, Sanity still mostly intact. Um, have definitely seen some shit, man. Have definitely seen. I saw an animal <laughs> fight. I saw a fucking. I saw a cockfight in Manila. Not in the physical world, but in a movie. <laughs> I got to watch one. So uh, yay, Schlocktober! It's happening. Did the cocks <laughs> shit? Is that what you were talking about? Uh, the shit that you saw, the shit that I saw was the, <laughs> the cocks had knives t- strapped to their legs and they fought with them. That was pretty fucked shit. Oh. And then they shit, obviously when they die, we all shit when we die. Everybody knows that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyways, that's neither here nor there. And, uh, everybody pray for my safety and sanity. Everybody knows that regulation cockfights have yet to put little boxing gloves on, on their claws. <laughs> that's yeah, <laughs> for safety. <I> guess. <laughs> uh, they call that one the stinger. You can't humane. do that anymore. <laughs> um, well, let's, let's, uh, we're not going to focus on Slocktober just yet. Uh, let's kick things over to Ryan. Ryan, um, you, you haven't been watching any schlock lately, right? What have you been up to? Yeah, I don't know if it quite qualifies as schlock, um, but I did watch I did watch two scary, quote, scary movies um, this week, so I do want to give a quick shout-out uh, that I watched Haunted Mansion. I should warn you, before you step inside the house, this could change the course of your entire life. I'm not afraid of a couple ghosts. <laughs> you say that now. This mansion is unhinged. <laughs> These ghosts definitely don't want to leave. Death lurks around every corner. God, give us a break. There's so many bad people in the world. Haunt them. Amen. I do like surprises. Is anybody else seeing this? I hope you do, too. Whoa! We're in a fight whether we like it or not. Or else we're stuck here for eternity. If this comes down to an exorcism, we're in big trouble. This house is dripping with souls, but there's always room for one more. Not to be confused with The Haunted Mansion, I think we're on like three or four Haunted Mansion adaptations of a ride at this point. that new Disney movie? Yeah. They did one with the Muppets not too long ago, so they're still trying to ride the Haunted Mansion high for whatever reason. Um, This one came out this year. I went to theaters. I think fucking nobody went. Uh, It's Disney streaming now. I think nobody's fucking watching it. It looked like the reviews were pretty much all crapping on it. It honestly is not that bad. This is a pretty good baby's first scary movie. Um, so that was most of the reason we watched it is that Ella could watch it because it really wasn't anything. The scariest thing is Jared Leto, but you can't really tell that it's oh. Jared Leto. So that's, oh, that's at least an upside. Though. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be uh, at least like 26 to be able to handle Jared Leto. <laughs> he's he's fully digitally 
out of it. It's like a, he's <laughs> voicing an animation, so it's like minimal. It's the minimal baby's first year. Uh, I, I, the only reason I really do want to shout it out is like the cast that they pulled in for this is way too good and way too many people. Like that's the one thing is it gets a little watered down because there's too many people in it. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield is the main character and I will fucking watch anything that he is in. Love Lakeith Stanfield. <laughs> um, he's just amazing and he's amazing in this. Like actually he like pulls off, he acts way better than this movie deserves. Um, so I like I do want to call that out. Rosaria Dawson's already also in it. She doesn't really get a lot to do, which kind of sucks. Uh, Owen Wilson is in it, sort of against type ish. He plays a priest, kind of, but he's not a great priest. Uh, Danny DeVito is full crazy Danny DeVito, probably what you want these nice. days from Danny DeVito. Are we talking like Jimmy John's commercial level crazy Danny DeVito? Yeah, Jersey Mike's or whatever. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Which, no. Whichever one it is. Here, here's how much it is exactly that. Now, I'm just going to talk about this movie now. Here's how much it is crazy Danny DeVito. They meet his character at like a Benihana, like a hibachi grill, where he's wearing like full uh, like raincoat like clear raincoat hat and clothing so he can just have the guy keep chucking shrimp at him <laughs> like over and over again. And while they're talking, he's like trying to catch the shrimp in his mouth. <laughs> so yes, that level of, of okay. it, it does a lot to try to like reference the ride and oddly looking at it. I like the reviews. I think most people are just like tired of Disney which is funny to then try to get something that's like you have to be a complete Disney head for it. I know their park attendance is down. Like the Pixar movie didn't do very good. People are just do not want to see live action stuff from them at all. They're tired of it. Um, and so I think this is like gonna it's completely fly under the radar because no one fucking wants to watch it. No one was asking for it, um, which is sad because it has such a good cast in it that deserve better than that. Um, but it, it, like, it actually pretty much like you can follow the story really easily. You have characters that you care about. It actually uh, didn't fall into the tropes that I was thought it was going to fall into, um, which kind of surprises me for what it should be. Cause right off the bat, like they're Rosario Dawson and her son buy this fucking old ass, clearly haunted house outside New Orleans because a single mom nurse can't possibly buy an old plantation house does doesn't make any sense but whatever like obviously nobody wants to be there they go in and they're like you know it's going to be haunted i know where the movie's going and my my first thing i said when they're in there i was like what's the over under on how long they stay in this house after they shouldn't like because i was just thinking about the conjuring from last week where i'm like I've actually seen my wife get bruises on her leg for no fucking reason. My daughter's slamming her head against the door. And I have people in here taking pictures of ghosts for me. And I'm still staying the night. Like, I Just didn't that. understand how that worked. <laughs> uh, but actually, like, Rosario Dawson, the first thing that's, like, creepy, she goes, oh, hell no. And they turn around and they run out of the house. <laughs> nice. I was like, okay, all right. <laughs> I was like, they actually, like, it's realistic then. You know, except for all the crazy ghost shit. But uh, it, it, 
it did enough. Like I did enough, and I had some parts that I I laughed at. Like it's not amazing. It's not absolutely hilarious. But you kind of care about the characters. It has its funny moments. It references a bunch of shit from the ride. If you give a crap about it, I think I've only ridden the ride once, and I remember it enough um, to kind of be like, oh yeah, those are those things from that. Um. So yeah, I give it like a meh. Yeah. <laughs> well, is that Pass. a recommender and a feud, or are you just you like, like for Yo. kids, for kids, for babies? It's really good for kids. <laughs> recommend for families. Okay. Yeah, for families, like yeah, if you're looking for something to watch, you like really could do a lot worse. Like, there's so much shit out there on Netflix and on a Disney ringing Plus. endorsement from Ryan. Yeah. How does it, how does it pair it, with Hour of the Wolf, Ryan? Please tell me. <laughs> yeah, right. That would be a good like back and forth maybe a good chaser you kind of come down yeah. off of the that and you can kind of just like wallow in haunted mansion and not really right are you attention. really are you really refuting our the wolf and recommending haunted mansion is that really what's happening i love this i love what's happening as a right movie now. you can like leave on in the background and pay no attention to like you uh, can put your kids in front of like you can do the dishes that does not uh, sound like a recommendation for a movie. That sounds like a recommendation for a babysitter. For background noise. I think that uh, yeah. I think that our good buddy Jim Given loves that kind of recommendation. <laughs> yeah, this is a shout out for Jim. For Mark, you're looking for something for the family. Like this is <laughs> this is what you go to. Yeah. The other the other thing I watched that I was going to talk about. Uh, Darla wanted to watch Audrey Rose, which is a 70s. I think it's like 77. The mother, the father. The child, the stranger. He's going to harm us. It's Ivy he's after. The past, the present, the nightmare, <coughs> the terror. I saw her burn her hands on a cold window. <coughs> the movie, Audrey Rose. Uh, that she had watched when she was younger and was like, oh, it, it kind of was scary when I was a kid. And, and remembered it. It is obviously one of those movies that kind of followed after The Exorcist in that kind of window of like, let's make creepy kids. Uh, like that was kind of popular around that time. Um. The, the idea is that supposedly the, this character's daughter, the, the main character is their daughter, is a reincarnation of Anthony Hopkins' daughter, Audrey Rose. This is a this is like a weird Anthony Hopkins to me because he's much younger. He has a beard for the first chunk of the movie and a lot of hair, uh, but he still has creepy Anthony Hopkins eyes and voice. Um, <laughs> and he mainly like for the first chunk of the movie, he creepily stands off in the distance or follows them around or shit like that. Uh, to which in a trench coat, he follows their daughter around. And to which the police are like, "Did he hit you? Because otherwise, we can't do anything." <laughs> I was like, this, they're early on in the movie. They're like, there was nothing we can do. He's standing outside your daughter's school trying to talk to her. Nothing we can do about that. I was like, boy, the 70s were a different time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mostly, it, it kind of just like, it's hokey enough. Like, it just is that where you're like, okay, either I just give in that she is uh, reincarnated, and then it's like, there's really nothing for me to do here, or I don't believe it. But the movie just constantly is like, that's what you have to run with. Uh, where I'm like, The Exorcist has like so much build before it eventually gets to like, you know, enough off the rails and all that. And there's enough like character depth and drama and conversations and things that are happening. This is really just like, we're kind of like passing time between the daughter freaks out and we yell Audrey Rose at her like multiple times. That's what happens. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it just, the last chunk of the movie is a trial. Oh, it becomes a, <laughs> uh, a courthouse. Which is trial. weird. <laughs> because Anthony Hopkins kidnaps the girl. And for some reason, when he's at his trial for kidnapping, he brings up that it's okay because it's really his daughter reincarnated. And the judge like is like, let's see where this goes. Like he's the fucking judge from uh, he's the judge from Airbud. He's like, all right, you know, let's see, let's hear him out. <laughs> like, and then they and then even more Airbudish, they take the whole courtroom to a doctor's office, uh, to where the daughter's <laughs> gonna get hypnotized. And they're pretty much like the whole case weighs on like when she's hypnotized. Does she remember being Audrey Rose or not? Oh That's guilty or not guilty. It all weighs on this. There's there's no law that says that you can't kidnap your own reincarnated <laughs> child. As long as you can yeah. prove it with a hypnosis session, it's totally yeah, then fine. We're, all, we're all good. Yeah. By the end, like Darla afterwards was like, okay. She's like, I don't really remember all of it because I was a lot younger. And she's like, it's probably not as scary now. And, and I also think it's one of those things where a bit like The Exorcist, I don't think like people talking about reincarnation, like it was kind of a newer thing through the 60s and the 70s. And this thought of like, you're, you could be this reincarnated thing and have this like pain from your past life or whatever affect things like that was a newer, interesting concept. Now it's just like, you know. I don't care. Like, right? Like, it's not interesting. It's not new. Well, Ryan, are you, uh, you're, you're recommending or refuting that? No. Nah. That, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a nope. If you're looking for some like older, uh, 70s horror to watch, this one's just like a, it almost was like a TV movie. The way it was filmed, like the level of the acting, especially from the girl, like it's only two locations. You could have done this whole thing up for TV. Damn. Haunted Mansion has some pretty fucking good effects, I'll actually say. <laughs> He's back <Really>? on it. <laughs> I was really impressed with some of the effects in that, like the house and the way it transforms and shit. Like, I thought it was pretty impressed. Nice. Uh, bring well, it back around. You got, you I'm got, very surprised to hear you that. You got a double... <laughs> you got to do two movies, buddy. Everybody gets one. <laughs> well, sometimes we pull in a horror movies. sequel. I just, you know. Yeah, yeah. Just two okay. completely unrelated films. I'm going to break the rules too, but it's going to make sense when I do it. God, God damn, it. damn it. You're both loose <laughs> cannons and that ties into the movie that I want to talk about, but I'm not going to do that yet. <laughs> uh, yeah. Dixon, uh, what do you, what do you got for us? Okay. Yeah. So I watched the original 1962 Cape Fear this week, directed by Jay Lee Thompson. Feel suspense. Suspense that grips your heart in a vice. Feel fear. Numbing, paralyzing fear. Cape Fear. Starring Gregory Peck, Robert Mitchum, Polly Bergen. Cape Fear, the screen's most terrifying war of nerves. I've seen the worst, the dregs, but you, you are the lowest. You just put the law in my hands, and I'm going to break your heart with it. Um, I had never seen the original version. I've seen the Martin Scorsese 1991 remake several times. And I have seen the 1995 Simpsons parody many, many, many times. <laughs> so um, I watched all three versions this week um, and had a, a pretty great time. They're all very good. Um, and actually, 
surprisingly, my my favorite of the you know two actual feature films was the original 1962 version. I did not expect to like that better than the Martin Scorsese version, but uh, I did. Um, it's I think a lot of people are familiar with the story of Cape Fear because of that Simpsons episode and because like this Scorsese movie made a shitload of money when it came out. Like I saw an interview with Scorsese from 99 where he said that Cape Fear was the money that the movie that made the most money of his entire career up to that point. Um, I don't know if that's still the case. Um, you know, he's made some, some blockbusters since then, but, um, it, it's, it's pretty crazy. Like, you know, how mainstream and widespread that movie was, but 1962's Cape Fear is, is, is really, really good. They're, they're a little bit different. So the 1962 version starring Gregory Peck, Robert Mitchum, Martin Balsam, just star-studded cast. Um, I always love Robert Mitchum. He is an incredible, insidious actor. Like when he plays those really dark roles like Night of the Hunter and, and stuff like that, he's, he's really good in those type of roles. And he's great as Max Cady in Cape Fear. Um, you know, premise of the movie, um, Gregory Peck's character is a um, an attorney in this small town with his wife and daughter, and he um, all of a sudden one day encounters this guy Max Cady, played by uh, Robert Mitchum, and he's like, "Hey, you know, you don't remember me? Like, you you you're the reason I went to prison." And uh, Gregory Peck turns out was a witness at his trial, um, you know, about a decade ago when he was seen assaulting a woman. Gregory Peck was there; he was a witness at the trial. And um, Max Cady blames him for sending him to to prison. And in order to get what he feels is justice, he decides to just basically like badger and torture him and uh, like turn him into the same level of monster that he is throughout the movie as it goes along, which is kind of this terrifying concept. Like, you know, Gregory Peck is this upstanding citizen He's a prosecutor. You could argue there are no good prosecutors, but um, you know he's he's a family man. He's well thought of in the community, and this guy starts you know just kind of fucking with him, and you know doing things that aren't illegal, but he's just saying things that are you know threatening, but not overtly so, and you know showing up around his property and um, you know showing up at the bowling alley when his family's there and and things like that and making comments like, hey, your daughter's looking juicier by the day. Um, oh. And just saying these like horrifying things that just drive Gregory Peck into a rage and um, lead him to become the same monster that, that Robert Mitchum is as the movie goes along. And, you know, ends up leading to him like breaking the law to try to get rid of him and take care of him. And um, it, it's, it's a fascinating concept. Um, Really, the best thing about the movie is Bernard Herrmann's score. It's just fucking incredible. If you've seen the Scorsese version, they just reused the Bernard Herrmann score because it's so good. The Simpsons version uses the Bernard Herrmann score <laughs> because it's so good. Like, they, there's just no way to really top that. And so they, they just keep using that, um, you know, in the different versions of the movie. And I don't... I don't like it would just be worse if you tried to do something else, but it also kind of feels like a cop out to just keep using it, you know, like, um, but man, that music is just incredible. Like as soon as you hear it, you know what it is like, oh shit, that's, that's Cape Fear music. Um, but, um, man, it's, it's really good. Martin Balsam plays the, the police chief. I always really like him. He's a great character actor from 
the fifties and sixties. He was in Twelve Angry Men and um, you know a lot of good studio films from that era. Uh, but re- really dug it. The Scorsese version is also very good. Um, you know, De Niro plays Max Cady and Nick Nolte plays Sam Bowden and you know the Gregory Peck role. And it's a little bit. Um, there's more interactions between Max Cady and other members of the family, like the wife and and daughter. And those scenes are, scenes are very unsettling and really well done. De Niro somehow pulls off a really great Georgia accent. And, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think that a, an Italian New Yorker would be capable of doing that. He still looks like an Italian New Yorker, but like with the accent, you <laughs> forget pretty quickly. And like you buy that he's this Georgia Southerner. Um, he also does like, I hate it when people just do generic Southern accents in movies and you can tell that they're not really basing it on anything or where those people are from. And like, I was like, yep, that's a Georgia accent. The way he's like talking much more slowly and kind of has this drawl to, you know, what he's, he's saying. It, it, it works really well. Um, I, I didn't think it was quite as good as the first one. I think probably because the first one was just so well done. And, you know, it, it's a very, Scorsese's version is very good. It, felt a little bit un, a little bit unnecessary um you know it it was a you know kind of a favor for universal that he did because they helped him out with last temptation of christ so he owed them a movie and de niro had found the the script and had wanted to do it and so scorsese was like all right um you know i owe universal a movie i guess i'll i'll make this with you um spielberg was actually originally tagged to direct it and amblin produced it but i don't think spielberg I don't think his name is on the movie, but his production company is attached to it. Mm. But um, there's no, there's really no fingerprints of Spielberg anywhere in in that movie. I'm, and I'm kind of shocked that he would have ever been tied to it because it's yeah. so dark and unsettling. But, yeah, that yeah. seems wrong. <laughs> yeah, just not like anything that he would do. Um, but it, and it, De Niro is great as Max Cady, and so is Robert Mitchum. It's hard to really like say who was better in that role they're both just horrifying and in both movies max katie is almost like a in this unstoppable supervillain that like everything that sam Bowden does to try to stop him you think like oh yeah that'll take care of it and he just powers through and in anything he just kind of wipes this wipes it off his shoulder and keeps going and just keeps being this terrifying menace upon his his life and his family um but yeah, it's it's a really great horror thriller, and you know the, the Simpsons do a great job of kind of poking fun at it. Um, and I love that sideshow Bob episode of of the Simpsons. It's you know one of one of the best Simpsons episodes, I, I think. Ah, sideshow Bob! You wrote me those letters. You awful man! Stay away from my son. Oh, I'll stay away from your son, all right. Stay away forever. No. Wait a minute. That's no good. But the movies, both movie versions are really good. Um, I feel like more people have seen the 1991 Scorsese version. I would highly recommend that people check out the 1962 version. Um, it is shot in black and white, and the cinematography is incredible. It just looks fantastic. I, I love really good black and white cinematography. It's not like Hour of the Wolf level good, but it's very good for like an early 60s studio picture. It looks great. And uh, Robert Mitchum is fucking incredible. So. Um, you can get the Bernard Herrmann score in any version, but, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, at its most Bernard Herrmann, like it hasn't been rearranged or anything in, in the first version, you know, it's exactly what 
he intended it to be. So, yeah, have, have either of you guys seen any of the Cape Fear versions? I assume you've both seen the Simpsons episode many times. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've seen the Scorsese Cape Fear. I haven't seen the original. I've not seen either of them. So, yeah. I would uh, suspect more people have seen the Simpsons one than either of the others. I would assume Just so. Like yeah. Simpsons at its peak, not to mention syndication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it almost makes it the definitive version. <laughs> so, was season five. So it was like 19, yeah, 1994, 1995, maybe that it, that it came That's out. Like yeah. Peak, peak Simpsons. And yeah, it being yeah. a sideshow Bob and those usually being like a, you know, sort of a, a spectacular episode back in the day. Right. What did you think about the Scorsese version? Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting hearing you say to go back to the old one because I'm like, I, it's really good. Like, it's a really, really tense. It movie. is really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize the score was the same. Like, that's kind of crazy, too. Uh, but it, it's so good. Yeah, I can see where it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, don't change it. Um, you know, I think it's like a good that, that's a good example of a and I've pointed to it before of like a a thriller versus necessarily horror, mm-hmm. even though it kind of has the elements of a slasher movie. Um, it is, you know, it's the same sort of like they're after you and what's going to happen next. And, you know, the characters mm-hmm. are on edge as well. and um, but it is an outright horror because like we really do know who and why. And um, even though there is that like, yeah, he as he brushes off things, it's never really supernatural or anything to it. It really is just like this fucking guy's after you. Right. Yeah. But like, you know, there are there are plenty of horror movies that don't have supernatural elements. And like, yeah, I understand it's like yeah. kind of walking that line between horror and thriller, but like it's pretty terrifying and like right. max kate max katie is like an all-time horror villain i think he's just so fucking terrifying in in both of those movies yeah yeah and that's where it's on like on that line because it can be so unsettling and scary of a movie but it's not horror <laughs> it is that fear that is, is such in the a title. tense thriller Ryan, yeah fear is in the <laughs> title af- it's a horror can film. be afraid of <laughs> yeah, yeah the fear is thrilling sometimes dixon <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i yeah. do think sometimes like horror fans get a little too protective of the genre it's like well that's not horror and it's like i don't know man that's pretty fucking terrifying like it's 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 scored like a horror movie it's written like a horror movie there's a horror movie villain in it like you know feels like a horror it quacks like a horror movie to me yeah well i do tend to lean towards the like thriller or psychological horror except for slashers like i have a separate category for just like the insanity of what a slasher is that has nothing to do with anything <laughs> yeah uh putting things into genres becomes philosophical very fast so we're not gonna try to do it yeah. here but uh i'm, I'm definitely gonna need to check cape fear out because yeah i've only seen the simpsons one several times so i can only assume it ends with Robert De Niro singing the HMS Pinafore. Um, to- <laughs> yeah, and, and walking through a, a parking lot full of rakes. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The only thing that can stop him. <laughs> I can't wait to see that part. <laughs> That's going to make me great. Good belly laughs. <laughs> um, well, I guess like, so Dixon, even though you're recommending like the original one to see, would you say that that's the one you see first? Or would you say that if you saw that first, it might kind of sour some of the Scorsese one? Like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know that it matters. They're both really good. I had seen the Scorsese one first, but it had been a couple years. And then I, I watched the, watched all 
all three of them this this week, but you know, went back and watched the 1962. Then I watched the Scorsese one. It was interesting to watch the 1962 one first in this recent watch, so like see more clearly exactly what Scorsese did differently in his version. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, they're both great. I don't know that you can go wrong. You're not gonna like make you're not gonna spoil either one of them. They're both really yeah. great experiences okay. to watch. So okay. Cool. Um, well, uh, I guess that that puts it on me then to talk about uh, the thing that I alluded to earlier uh, with both of you on this podcast being loose cannons. I got to talk about a movie <laughs> that is somehow not made by Canon films, but um, really seems like it should have been. I mean, they folded, I think, right before it was made. And I'm talking about uh, 1995's Top Dog. Chuck Norris is Lieutenant Jake Wilder. When it comes to fighting crime, he's not clowning around. You're under arrest, bozo. But now, he's about to face the toughest, the most difficult, the most impossible challenge of his life, his new partner. Her? No. Him. (laughs) Wait a minute. What makes you think I'm gonna work with a mutt? Fasten your seatbelts as law enforcement gets a whole new look. This is your new home, so don't mess it up. And it's not pretty. Two cops. One's tough. You could help. One's smart. That dog's a hero, you know. Yeah, so I've been told. Um, Which stars Chuck Norris and a dog. Um, And it's directed by Chuck Norris's brother, I think, Aaron Norris. Um, a a number of other movies, uh, with with Chuck in it. Um, so I'm not entirely sure what's going on with their partnership, but they seem to be making some real bangers based on top dog. Um, are you sure it wasn't directed (laughs) by a dog? We know that it wasn't directed by a dog. We don't know that if we have not confirmed whether or not Aaron Norris is actually a dog in, uh, in some kind of human costume. Uh, um, but, uh, yeah, top dog, um, it, it really was. So like, if you look at any of the posters for top dog, it's Chuck Norris and it's a big old shaggy dog in a cop badge, right? Center frame. And they're both kind of smiling off into the distance as Chuck Norris holds a gun at waist level. Um, and I think that that tells you a lot of what you need to know about this, this fucking movie. Yeah. It does not know what the fuck it wants to be in a tone. So it's like, um, I think of things like any which way, but loose or Turner and Hooch, uh, especially Turner and Hooch. Cause man and a dog and like yeah. how kind of affable that relationship is. Oh, it's, it's wacky. This man and this dog, there's something going on here in this dynamic. We got to use that. And it feels like in the nineties, um, here's kind of why I'm surprised this isn't a Canon film because this movie has a shit ton of practical explosions. I'll just say outright. Uh, the synopsis hey. is, um, Chuck Norris is a loose cannon cop who has been um, suspended from the force. We don't know that for like 15 minutes of the movie because we got to watch two other characters first in a cold open. Um, It's some dude and the shaggy dog that we know is going to be Chuck Norris's partner. And they're trying to infiltrate a white supremacist rally in this movie that's posters are marketed towards families. Um, And so like right off the bat, 
they there's like C4 explosives and some kind of terrorist plot. And this dog um, doesn't follow orders like they establish from the beginning. The dog is a loose cannon who just can't be. And I'm like, how do you have a police dog that has like no training? Like, what the fuck is this? Um, like my inner Ryan was going crazy. And uh, <laughs> so like that guy gets shot um, like several times. He gets like robocopped. Uh, and the dog is now partnerless, which we're all sad about. So to the point where like Chuck Norris is brought back from suspension, like several weeks before he should be, um, because the police chief is like, I'm trying to run for mayor. And this is this white supremacist rally is going to fuck up all my shit. So you Chuck Norris, who probably shot a child the past like month and was suspended, <laughs> uh, with pay, um, you need to, to come back. And, uh, he's like reading the dossier in, in his office when Chuck Norris comes in and he's just like, uh, you and your your partner both loose cannons. You're both doing that. You're gonna be great for each other. And Chuck's like, "What are you talking about? I don't work with a partner." And this woman walks in, and he's like, "And I don't work with women." He like immediately just says it. Oh. And then he's like, "Well, that's I guess that's okay because your partner's not a woman. It's a dog." And Chuck Norris is like, <laughs> "And so, um, from there." it just becomes a procedural where the dog and Chuck Norris go to crime scenes and investigate things. And Chuck Norris somehow doesn't have to keep the dog from trying to eat the bodies. Um, and so like this dog is not like a German shepherd either. It's just a big old shaggy dog that looks like it's going to be in somebody's backyard. And it's a big fluffy pupper who will never be trained and will always eat treats all of his life. Um, though I will say that the actor, the dog as an actor is great. Uh, just does a phenomenal job listening to Chuck Norris and taking stage direction from whoever's off camera. Um, they find out that the white supremacists have this big plan. There's going to be a racial unity rally at the end of, uh, of like the month or some shit on, or no, it's going to be on 420 because that's Hitler's birthday. And so they want to make a statement. Um, and there's all these other characters that get pulled in. Like the, the cop who was shot in the beginning, he has a grandson who's really bonded with the dog and that sets up some other shit. And it just starts to do this thing where it, it takes like 10 minutes to be a serious movie where Chuck Norris's life, somebody makes an attempt on his life. Like several men shoot up his whole house and try to kill him. And then the next 10 minutes, it has the goofiest fucking score and all of this wacky shit of a dog trying to eat ice cream or do whatever the fuck he's doing with these kids. And it's like playing around. And then it'll just go hard right back into they put a fucking C4 under this car and there's a family trapped in it and like whatever the fuck else. And I got so much whiplash from watching it um, that I didn't even realize towards the end of it uh, that they were going to shoot everything in Balboa Park. And then I had this this vague tingling sense where I was like, what's the last movie I've seen with Balboa Park in it? And like this bell tower that they go to. And I was like, oh, it's fucking Vertigo. And I looked up info on the, the production <laughs> and apparently. This is like the only time after Vertigo is shot that they opened up that bell tower for a movie to be shot there. Hey there, folks. It's John from the Editing Bay. Just wanted to chime in real quick and say that I'm completely full of shit right now when I'm talking about this. The fun fact uh, is incorrect. Balboa Park bell tower was not used in Vertigo. It was used in Citizen Kane. I don't even know what I was thinking. Shame on me to hell getting my movie facts mixed up. Anyways. Back to whatever I was saying. And I was just like, they did it for <laughs> top dog. I can't believe this. Um, but 
to sum it all up, the reason I thought this was a canon film, because it happens like it's right. It, it takes place two years. It's released two years after canon films like folds. Um, it has Chuck Norris in it. And Chuck Norris was very prominent in the canon filmography. Uh, it has all of the things that I would think um, that the, the canon producers would probably want where they would see another movie like Turner and Hooch and be like, Turner and Hooch 2. Why don't we make that? Let's make Turner and Hooch 2 and let's do it about him being a cop and we'll call it rough on crime or some shit. And uh, then they like lost the rights and they lost the script and the company folded, but Chuck was still signed on to do it. And I just assume they had all these explosions and shit planned out because there's squibs everywhere, people getting shot up constantly in this family movie. Um, and you're just seeing like, it's like a Verhoeven wow. film at times. Uh, and then like um, the cars explode on the San Francisco streets and like flip over. Things are like crashing everywhere. And I mean, it's got genuinely good action. It's just the actual like dog and cop relationship. It's so like two different movies just jammed together. And it, it, I don't even know. Like, I'm not recommending it. I don't want to recommend it. Um, it, it was kind of painful. And I can see why I think right after this stopper, my mom will shoot came out and probably killed any kind of buddy cop genre movies for a while. Um, until like rush hour would reboot, yeah. I guess like a more like, all right, let's get it all back. Focused. Come on. Uh, kind of thing. But, um, yeah, it was a hell of a time. Uh, that's all I'll say. I, I don't think I'm going to watch it again for, I don't think I'm going to watch it again. Actually. I'm just going to say that. Um, I, I gotta watch other Chuck Norris movies. Like president's man has already been recommended to me by you Dixon. And that's, that's one that sounds like it'll at least know what it wants to uh. do with itself. <laughs> so yeah. Top dog. So couple important questions uh yeah. is the dog an effective cop dog like Hooch oh yeah is not yeah they have so so they have this whole scene um where chuck norris is captured by the white supremacist and he's tied to like a uh, a pipe by um one of the lead bad guys and the lead bad guy by the way he dresses like a magician at a children's party um so he he's like super threatening <laughs> he's got like a vest on and a purple shirt with a beautiful pattern and he's just like taunting Chuck Norris, like, yeah, yeah we're going to find that dog and we're going to kill your partner, blah, blah, blah. And then it hard cuts to another scene after Chuck Norris is getting his face bashed in and brutalized where the dog is doing like little twinkle toe movements behind boxes and shit. And uh, this other guy's hunting him like John McClane and Die Hard. And somehow the dog gets the drop on him and literally puts his paw on a lever and drops a trap door out from under him and kills this guy. Um, like the dog's competent as a cop. He knows exactly what to do. They had a whole scene where they showed him getting dope from a, a, he like stole dope or something from a cop in a training session. He was really good at stealing dope too. So I was like, all right, this dog is competent. He can steal drugs for you. Uh, he can drop men in trap doors. He's got it all. You know, he <laughs> somehow he hasn't does been fired. He or carry on... a service revolver. He, d he does not. That's the only thing. This dog can't wield a 44 Magnum, but I think if he could, he definitely would. <laughs> it's, it's dirty, Harry H a I R Y. Where does this fall in the, uh, cop dog exploitation genre? You have Turner and Hooch. Uh -huh. You have canine with James Belushi. Uh, uh, you have what is a C spot run with David Arquette? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm gonna <laughs> say, like, God, middle of the pack, higher. I'm gonna say it's 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 a little bit lower of mid. Um, I want to say that it's like 
Well, I mean, David Arquette wasn't a cop in C-Spot Run. He just happened to, wasn't he just like a mailman? Just, the dog was a cop. Oh, the though. dog's a cop. Oh, fine. <laughs> sure. Um, I mean, all of those movies at least know what they wanted to do. I, I don't really know so much about canine. I don't watch Jim Belushi movies that often. Um, but I, I can only assume a Jim Belushi movie is a Jim Belushi movie through and through. This felt like half of a Chuck Norris movie and half of this dog apparently has so much clout in Hollywood that it could make a movie. Um, and I, I wasn't sure who the vehicle was supposed to be for. So it's on my lower Good tier point. of dog films. Good point. Just below cop and a half. Uh, and like, there you go. Uh, yeah. Any other serious questions about top dog? I don't this think movie... it's possible to ask serious questions about <laughs> Top Dog. Well, there is one serious thing. This movie came out right after the Oklahoma City bombing. Yes, it did. And starts off with a white supremacist bombing. Yes. And uh, uh, they had to um, post, I think in Oklahoma, it did not do well. It was like $300 maybe that it made on opening weekend or something. And, in the uh, whole state? I, I think in just like, it might have been the city that the bombing happened. Um that, that like nobody went to see this particular movie. <laughs> and then they put out a disclaimer in that theater that was like, no, it's not affiliated. We're not trying to do anything with that. And I don't know if that actually helped its box office at all. I, I don't know. I feel like if you're that theater, you just, just pull the movie. Like don't yeah, try to salvage that yeah. and explain yourself. Just Yeah. So Top Dog would, would refute it. Um, I will give an honorable mention to Jim Cotta which Dixon, you gifted me a copy of. I posted about it on Letterboxd. If you're not following me on Letterboxd, uh, that's where Mary I'm Mary Schlockmas to you, John. All my Schlocktober stuff. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, Jim Cotta was great. Uh, if anybody's ever wanted to see, he's not a gold medalist because we were boycotting the Olympics the year that he could have won. Um, if anybody wants to see an Olympic medalist, uh, I'll just say that. Um, overthrow a fictional country of Parmistan. Um, with the help of gymnastics and pommel horses, or as I call them, pommel horses now, uh, in, in any way, shape or form, he can use gymnastics to kick people. That's what Jim Cotta is. That's all will ever be. And it was, uh, pretty glorious just watching that and, and seeing how fucking absurd it was. Um, yeah, definitely my top, it's one of my top runners for, for Schlocktober. So good, good. Record. Schlock of the year. Yeah. It's, it's getting up there, <laughs> but yeah. Um, well, cool. Uh, I think that that about closes it out. We got, uh, the, we got the loose cannons on this podcast, uh, which, um, <laughs> Ryan, you recommended, uh, haunted mansion, not the haunted mansion. You recommended haunted mansion with Lakeith Stanfield and, uh, the rest of that magnificent cast that was wasted on that. Um, 20 other people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, um, did not recommend, the Audrey Rose, Audrey Rose, yeah, um, yeah, Exorcist exploitation films, uh, film, kind of, uh, yeah. Uh, Dixon recommended all of the Cape Fears, all of them, mm -hmm. everything that you can see. Um, to sit down and watch all three of them all in a row, go right through it. Uh, yeah, end with the Simpsons. Don't start with the Simpsons. The Simpsons might throw off the rest of them. Oh yeah, no, definitely end with the Simpsons. <laughs> end the night on a light note. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but definitely like check out the Knights of 62 one. It's really great. I feel like a lot of people haven't, haven't gotten back to that. Yeah. And then, uh, refute for top dog. Um, I mean, if you're really some kind of like canine is a cop kind of movie buff, I guess watch those top don't dog, exist. John. Yeah, I, I, they're out there somewhere. I'm sure. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, like otherwise now stay away from top dog. Sasha had a great time with it though. She really liked it. She liked the dissonance. She, she likes chaos. Okay. I guess. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I, I snuck a little recommendation and honorable mention for Jim Cotta at the end there. I gave Jim Cotta five stars. Cause honestly, when you, you set out to make a movie about a, an Olympic medalist overthrowing a country, um, you can only make one kind of movie and it has to be perfect. So, it, it, um, yeah, turns out yeah. the CIA is pulling our Olympians into do secret coups, uh, just <laughs> utilizing their athleticism and the specific sports that they do. Why do you think they it, fuck everywhere that they go? They're seducing people for intelligence. <laughs> it's part of the espionage, yeah. So like they they, put they have to send bits. somebody in to set up the like the rings and the vault and all that stuff ahead of time. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'd even say those Olympians are carrying the torch for the CIA. <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry. Why, why is there a high bar in that skinny alley? Because the CIA put it there, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The CIA installed covert pommel horses everywhere. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> They're sleeper agent pommel horses. Um, uh, yeah, well, that does it for us here uh, at Afterthoughts. Thank you for joining us for another Recommender Refute episode. There weren't as many. Um, there were some spooky season stuff. Y'all brought spooky season stuff. I didn't. Top Dog is Schlocktober all the way. Um, yeah. Maybe I'll bring some other spooky season stuff next time. Who knows? Uh, but You could uh, do a scary schlock movie, I guess. I could do that. I think there are some that are lined up, so we'll see in the next uh, the next recommender if you what happens. But uh, for now, I have been your host, John Garcia. With me, as always, Ryan King. Who in this room is thinking about killing Selma Bouvier right now? Raise your hand. <laughs> be honest. Come on, be honest. Uh, and Michael Dixon. Thanks for putting up with our bullshit. Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.